What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another ATP Performance Podcast. Today, we have two, well, three, including myself, three of our coaches here, and we're going to be getting into a specific topic that we might re, um, uh, kind of recover or bring back up again with other coaches as well, just to give their input. But we're going to go over lagging body parts and kind of give you some advice as far as what you can do if you do have lagging body parts specifically for muscle growth side of things and just get into that a little bit more in detail and I think we have two of our coaches that are definitely going to be great insight for that being bodybuilding um, natural pros themselves Um, and I like to think I have a little bit of muscle so maybe I can give a little bit of insight as well here so uh, yeah we're going to get right into it Connor had some good insight I know Peter does too but we were just discussing, we'll have Connor maybe start out and kind of build upon that and kind of branch off of there. But Connor, you want to start out maybe with one of those kind of topics within the topic, if you will, um, we can go from there. For sure, Joe. So the first thing I had on my list was exercise selection. So, I mean, obviously when you have a weak body part, probably the first thing you need to look at is, you know, how you're going to address your training for that body part. You know, that's the logical first place to start. What exercises are you going to do to address, you know, um, training that tissue that you're trying to bring up, right? Um, So I think a good first step is actually to kind of look at the anatomy of the muscle. And you don't need to get too in the weeds for that. But just kind of like, you know, watch people who have, you know, good body parts, see how they move and see what their muscles kind of look like and just kind of study the shape and and where the muscle starts and where it ends in your body. So the insertion and origin um, are two kind of ones that you can kind of just, you know, think about in your head before you start um, programming exercises. Um, And as well, too, there's like the common advice that you want to pick exercises that you feel really well. And I think 90% of the time, that's pretty good advice. Um, But I think some of the times you need to be a little bit careful when you're really just kind of focusing on feel or sensation. And I have some kind of examples to, to kind of go with that where um, people can kind of be led down a path. And I feel like you kind of have to get into a little bit of the weeds with this stuff because with the way um, exercises are being demonstrated on social media now, there's a lot of like kind of grab bag exercise stuff that you just kind of see and you try. And like, you know, like in reality, a lot of people are, you know, scrolling their feed before they work out and they're like, oh, that movement looks cool. I'm going to give it a shot. Let's see how it feels. Let's see if it's going to be my movement, right? So one example I, I thought I thought up with, thought up is a bit of a straw man but let's just go ahead and run with it so let's say we have like a bikini competitor who's looking to train their glutes and they're they're looking to get the kitchen sink with glutes you know for the most part right and let's say they're like oh I found this movement that I really feel with my glutes you know really well I'm going to keep doing it and you ask them you know okay what are you doing they're like okay well I'm putting you know a band around my hips and I'm doing a smith machine squat and when I come up to the top of the squat I really squeeze my glutes at the top and I really feel them burn. I've never felt my glutes like that before. And then this is where you got to be careful. It's like, okay, you feel that, but really what you've kind of done is learned to kind of pose that muscle or just contract the glutes at the top against no resistance, right? So you're not actually going to be generating any real mechanical tension other than what you're kind of squeezing just at the top, right? You could just do that with no weight you know, (laughs) on your own time away from the gym, right? So um, as well too, with the band around the hips, that may increase kind of like 
some co-contractions of some of some synergists and like maybe the muscles responsible for abduction might be firing a little bit but really in a squat pattern you're looking to train your your you know your glute max so you're probably not going to look to get like an abduction component and mix it with like squat patterns so in my mind that would be kind of a poor example of someone who you know um felt found something they felt really well but i would you know bet that you know, they're going to get the benefit of getting down to the bottom of the squat, but they're also going to reduce their output on the set by like contracting at this kind of range of motion that has no resistance, right? So you kind of get to take sensation with a grain of salt. And that doesn't mean that everyone's doing this all the time, but I feel like that needs to be said because if you only go by what you feel, you can be misled um, at times. And now I'll go into an example that applied to myself that's a little bit kind of like closer to getting better but it's something that I kind of learned and corrected um after a few years so um you know I was always trying to get bigger lats and especially kind of the lower portion that tied down kind of into my spine there and um I felt that getting on like a low cable row where um I would actually prop up the bench with some mats and my arm was really low I kind of learned to squeeze my lower lats on that movement and I'd really like make them contract very, very hard and they'd almost be cramping. And, you know, I even taught it to clients as well too. I was like, this is how you hit those lower fibers of the lats. You really get down there and squeeze. And that's what I was doing. I was squeezing, I was making them cramp. And then of course, you know, I got on stage and I didn't really have great lower lats from that. And the critique I got when I won my pro card was that my lats need to be better, right? And so I, I at that time I had this system I was very confident in and I'm someone as well too that has decent genetic insertions for lats they do insert right down kind of to my pelvis which is a genetic thing which we can get to in a little bit about muscle bellies uh attachments which are different for everyone but so I was someone who like you know I had enough going on down there with just kind of an uh an inefficient movement for that tissue um that you know I thought was working for me but really wasn't and then so as I got into some of the more mechanic-based stuff that is popular now and kind of gets shit on, but it kind of has a place, but I just kind of really depends who you're talking to. You know, I realized I never really knew how to actually hit my lats in a pull-down scenario, right? And then as I got more into the weeds with some of this, you know, biomechanics stuff, I realized that that low cable row I was doing is something that gets taught for lats, but not so much the lower fibers, more so of the fibers that run horizontally, um, which, you know, people like to call like the thoracic fibers or basically kind of the upper lats since the lats are a fan-shaped muscle, which is another thing. If you're trying to look at a muscle, you might want to see, is it one of the fan-shaped ones that has fibers that go in different directions or is it just more basic? Like, you know, um, that can be a consideration too when you're trying to pick your exercises. So, you know, the lats, um, fan-shaped. And so when I did get on stage after doing all those low rows, even though I felt them, in my lower lats, I did have huge upper lats. I had very well developed. So the top of my lat spread looked great. The bottom, not so much, not a whole lot happening there. So that was one where I kind of fell victim to focusing on sensation rather than just trying to learn better exercises for that muscle group. So um, that's, that's one thing I would put someone as kind of cautioning with when it comes to just looking at sensation, because you can get some people kind of jamming up into some kind of like crampy sensations and non-functional movements, you know, 
um, when they're kind of searching for stuff that they feel. And then I have a third point to this, which is, I know I'm getting a little bit long-winded on this sensation thing, but if you focus on sensation too, more, more or less, you're probably going to end up going with exercises that are loaded more in the contracted or short position, because those have kind of the highest like cramping and feel um, kind of associated with them. I mean, some people might find a, a LinkedIn-based movement that they feel a lot and they understand that that's tension. But if someone doesn't really know better, if you ask them, what do they feel the most? Like... Do you feel a leg extension more in your quads or do you feel a squat more in their quads? They're probably going to say the leg extension because they're really going to feel everything cramping up at the top. And that's going to be one that you're not going to feel the, uh, the synergists, like the glutes, the adductors, uh, things like that. Um, you know, you're not going to feel those as much as in the leg extension, right? So then if you're more or less picking mostly short position movements, you may be missing out on a lot of your big bang for buck movements, like your overloaded lengthened movements. Like if we take quads, like your squats, your hack squats, uh, sissy squats, things that really get a lot of tension in the stretch position, right? And you can take that, you know, um, for any muscle group, it could be, you know, biceps, um, delts, anything. And then, you know, maybe actually what you want to do is look at more of the lengthened based exercises and get a little bit more stimulus per set as we know, that is kind of like a more potent stimulus. It takes a little bit longer to recover from. Um, and kind of maybe that's kind of your bang for buck thing that you actually want to focus on. And that might not have the biggest sensation. You're probably, you're definitely going to feel something. You're going to feel the muscle tearing down and stretching, but it may not be as strong as something that's in the short position that you chose because you were focusing a hundred percent on feel. So um, one of my points would be don't focus a hundred percent on that keep that in mind, you know, definitely pick ones that you do feel and even ones that are lengthened, you should feel somewhat, but, um, you know, just really don't make sensation the key thing you pick when it comes to your exercise selection. Do you so guys have any thoughts or comments? Um, I wanted to kind of ask, well, not, not really ask, but uh, kind of take the place of the viewer of this podcast and try to summarize that and see if I understood sure. it correctly. Sure. Um, so maybe um, with with sensation, using that as a proxy for effectiveness, um, it seems like there is a gap between that because the sensation is highest at uh, peak muscular contraction rather than at peak um, like torque or peak, uh, what is the word, um, tension on the muscle. Um, so using that, there's, there's going to be a little bit of a gap. It's not uh, like lacking value, but it can't be a primary driver for your selection. Is that what you're saying there? hundred percent, man. And so like, I think this message gets like, like I, I saw this kind of get overblown on social media at one point between like, I think it was between Kasim and Brett Contreras. And like, he was like, how can you say feel doesn't matter? Like bodybuilders have been using it for years. It, it's more that he it's, it's more that not that feel doesn't matter at all. It's just, that's one of the components and there's going to be many different sensations you're going to feel during training. And you don't really want to overvalue one over the other. And you almost need to kind of fact check each sensation to make sure it's actually doing what you want it to do. Right. So, um, and it, it, it's one of those things you got to really watch people. And this is where the one-on-one -on -one thing with the coaching helps. It's cause like, it's like, okay, you're trying to bring up your glutes. What are you doing for glutes? And then you find out they're doing kind of like weird stuff with bands all the time. Right. And you're just like, okay, well you need to learn how to load hip extension better. Like let's find some ways we can do that for you. And, you know, um, find some ways to track that with like progressive overload and, make sure we pick movements that as you progress on, we know we're going to get that tissue that you want to grow to be growing. 
but yeah, abs absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it's a component, it's not everything, but you know, you kind of got to fact check it. Yeah. As far as sensation for me, I think what you said about like squats, for instance, compared to like a leg extension, I think even just explaining to someone, especially maybe that doesn't really understand that there's going to be almost like two different stimulus, even though you might be like, well, I'm squatting to build my quads. It's like, well, they're like you said, it's almost, you know, two different stimulus that you're going to feel, even though one of them, you know, or, you know, if you're going to put them, you know, in a, an importance sort of comparison, obviously they both are very, very important for the development of a leg um, just in general, but it's like, as you mentioned, you're not going to be feeling the contraction in your quads necessarily the same way. And just from like a biomechanical standpoint, because like Peter was saying, just the contraction in that aspect, unless you're doing like an extreme sissy squat or something is going to be much less of like an extension. So I think that that's like important as well, because yeah, if you're someone who thinks that only sensation matters and you squat, you're like, what? Well, I'm just going to not squat. You know what I mean? Because I just don't feel it like I would. But then you're like, well, no, you're, you're getting a lot of hamstring, you know, growth from that, you know, you're, maybe it's not the main thing, but you're getting a lot of it. And, you know, you could just squat, like look at a lot of, you know, weightlifters or people who don't really want big quads necessarily as their goal, but they're just big because of all the volume and stuff they do from squats or other accessories like that. But um, yeah, I think that that's very important. And even just bringing it like to, ge to general sample, like if someone who's you know, maybe infrequently or inconsistently in the gym and to us it might be obvious, but like, I think one of the big things that a lot of people I've found, especially with the general population is just not even being on a routine at all. Right. Because and I think this goes along with sensation because they'll just go to the gym and just do whatever feels good. Right. They're like, they're like, I always joke around, like, uh, it's like the, 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 some of these workout routine, right. I'm going to do some of these. Now I'm going to do some of these maybe right. some of those, you know what I mean? Like it's, uh, so I think that that's a big one where then, you know, talk about a recipe for an un, you know, a lagging body part or multiple lagging body parts, just like hammering, you know, curls and chest and, uh, you know, sit-ups all day or whatever. But um, yeah. And I think, again, that goes like sensation rather than being like, well, yeah, sensation matters. And I think this is one of my big points on it with you're mentioning the, the lower lats. And I think that that was something you know, I was always hammering like lat pull downs, hammering rows, and I was just never growing my back like I wanted it to, um, or especially my lats, um, my traps and stuff would get a lot of work. And then, you know, I did drop the weight and I did go kind of based on sensation, kind of almost to the opposite of what you're describing. But then someone said to me, once you feel that sensation, I can't even remember where I heard it, but then they were like, once that's there, then you need to load it again, right? Like then you need to properly progress. And that's what it kind of like, you know, made sense to me where if, yeah, if you're just sitting there all day, like, no, 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 I've been progressing 20, you know, thousand weeks in weight or load or anything, but I feel it every time it's like, well, chances are you probably haven't seen much growth, you know? So I think that again, using it as the proxy for everything you're doing is just a recipe for, you know, just not really making much gain, but, um, but yeah, but as far as, you know, from like someone like myself with like more lifestyle or general population, I think one of the big, like easy ones. And again, to, to, you know, anyone who's really ser serious about training, um, the big one would just be a consistent routine that you actually can stick with. Right. Cause so many times people just are really high of volume for a couple of weeks, drop off, you know, or like I was saying, not on a routine at all. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but no, anything else, Peter, you have about like sensation or the point Connor was making there? 
Um, I don't have anything on sensation specifically to, to kind of go forward with, but I, I kind of had a topic I wanted to do that was further back in the system. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, one thing I like to consider first um, is identifying what the source of this is. So like you have a lagging body part. Is it because you have a long time low usage of it throughout life growing up? Maybe you don't have, maybe you have a sedentary life. So like legs were never a particularly big thing or you didn't do certain type of athletics or did do certain. So your upper body is more developed than others. So kind of identifying different sources. I mean, it could be that. So it's a lifelong difference in use. Uh, maybe you're transferring from a different sport like myself. Um, I competed in strongman. So my lower body is well-developed compared to my upper body. So um, that's kind of a source. Um, other, other options, like maybe, maybe, there's different types of stimulus that work better for different locations, but really just kind of identifying first, if there is a really big reason that you've got that discrepancy, that way you can sort of just dial that in a little bit, a little bit better. Um, so that's, that's kind of one thing I like to do. And then the other thing I like to kind of think about is, is this weak point or is this weak area affecting your place? So if it is affecting your placing and it's the only thing affecting your placing, you have to, you have to focus on it. If they're like, man, you really need to get bigger, but your lats are also kind of a focal point. Yes. You need to improve your lats, but it, it's not yet time to address that specific weak, weak point. So I, I definitely want to go back to mention that like, Hey, is this your biggest problem right now? Or do you need to take a more global approach? I think that's a great point, Peter. And I think something that I want to add to that is almost, I often have to really ask them when they bring it up, is this even a actual lagging body part, right? Because sometimes I think then when I say, all right, let me see that. Let me get this angle. Let me, let me take a look at it. Um, it actually isn't much of a lagging body part. Maybe in their eyes, they're comparing it to, and I think this is the opposite end of the spectrum. Someone who maybe has this, that body part as their strong point, And they're like comparing it to like, you know, someone who just has this huge horseshoe tricep and they're like, yeah, my triceps are lagging. And you're like, no, 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 your triceps are pretty, pretty, you know, even with the rest of your body, you just need to get bigger overall and you just need to keep training, you know? And I think that that is something that happens a lot too. Um, and actually, I think what your point about competing specifically, especially for someone like me who doesn't compete, if you, you know, are like, you, you have huge triceps or on the opposite end, you, you have you know, something that is so big, it causes other parts of your body to look lagging in a sense. Like you don't, there's nobody who's, you know, especially if you are not competing, nobody who's saying you couldn't just have these freaky arms, you know, and maybe you don't want to be like, you know, super out of place, but there's nothing wrong with having, you know, some freaky development in one area, if that's what you want, you know, and the look you want. But um, I thought that that was interesting though, because what you mentioned is so true, Peter, Um, you know, it's, if it's one little thing, maybe in, especially in your own mind, I think objectivity is big there to help you. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like, are you even at that place where you have lagging body parts or is it just development overall that needs to, needs to happen? Yeah. And it's, it's something I wanted to mention within the, like this particular podcast, but at mm -hmm. this point, I'm happy moving forward with the assumption that it is affecting and it is something that needs to be addressed specifically. Totally. Totally. Sweet. I agree. I was going to say just on that point quickly too, Peter, um, you know, I really um, felt like my biceps were a weak point. And um, I do think uh, I did, I definitely brought them up between my 2019 to 2022 season, but 
if you look at, let's say, like the WMBF, like how they judge, you know, they have the symmetry round and the muscularity round. And the symmetry round is half your score, and you're barely going to see your biceps on all the symmetry poses. You're going to see them a little bit at your side, but you're never going to do a front or rear double bicep. You're not doing a side chest where the bicep is exposed. So um, sometimes you get into these muscle groups that, like, you know, you're kind of like worrying about that like you said, it's not really going to affect your placing on stage because they actually just aren't as impactful as things like your quads and your lats and your delts, right? Because they want to see that X frame for the most part, right? So um, yeah, totally. You can totally like stress out about that. And almost if you do like a specialization phase and you don't really even need one, like you may give up some of your strengths, you know, um, that are actually serving you that you don't even realize that maybe you don't even appreciate, right? So that can, that can definitely be a consideration for sure. Yeah, I think that's interesting what you just mentioned there because it's one of those things where, yeah, maybe that is what get, catches the judge's eye that you're then pulling back all this volume from to put somewhere else. And it's like, oh, you know, it's kind of interesting. And then it brings up a whole new conversation of like, you know, the, the specifics of judging and, you know, that sort of thing. But but I think that that's, again, to me, especially someone who's, you know, looking at, I like to looking at it as like an art in a sense, as well as a sport where it's like, well, maybe if that's your expression, that's the expression you want to put on stage, you know, that, you know, nobody's going to stop you, right? Like, or whatever that looks like, and again, with your strong points or weak points. But, um, but yeah, but no, I think, um, yeah, if you put all of your, especially, I think this goes back to what I was saying with like beginners who think they have, you know, a need for a specialization phase, it can almost put you down a, a hole, like sometimes where if you overly analyze it in a negative way, <laughs> you can make yourself almost go crazy in a way where you're like, ah, you know, you see all these like things that aren't really there in a sense with your photos or your progress pictures. Yeah. I, I think it should almost be like a last resort, uh, specialization yeah. phase. If like, you know, it's, it's, you've, it, you've really talked to a few people that you trust that you really think it's, it's a good idea to do it. And you've tried like all the other things that, you know, maybe we're going to mention in this podcast and, Maybe I'll just switch to like one of the one of the notes I had down here was um, exercise order within a session. So, um, you know, most people who are going to train with weights, I mean, not everyone, I guess it depends. But, you know, I, most bodybuilders are probably going to like spend a good, you know, I'd say 45 to 90 minutes in the gym. Right. And, you know, as you fatigue throughout your session, the stuff that you do at the last is not going to be as productive work you at the first especially if you're taking sets close to failure right you're going to start fatiguing and you could you could try really really hard and that's good and you should but um you know if you prioritize that body part earlier in the session you're likely to get a lot more quality work from it so like one thing that really helped me out was doing my calf training uh before um i did you know my quads and hamstring stuff uh because that stuff is so very fatiguing and you know the calves really aren't that fatiguing you can kind of get away with some pretty hard sets there and not have it take away too much from your quad ham stuff um i mean and you really have to look at like okay what do you want to prioritize but that's something that a lot of people end up skipping is like their calves right so putting yeah. them earlier can work as well too I've, i applied that with biceps that was one of the things i did i actually tr did a few uh blocks of my last off season where i trained biceps before i trained any leg movements and that seemed to work really well i found ones that i felt like was stable good bicep movements that gave me a lot of good bang for my buck i tried to progress them because they were earlier in my session i was able to progress them rather than as opposed to having them at the end of a back session 
where it was like harder to progress and like honestly your focus is kind of waning and like you just don't have that drive to progress like you do um earlier in the workout so that's something for me that paid off quite a bit in terms of like growing the actual tissue of my biceps was just placing them early in the session which you know after 12 years of lifting i'd never really even done right because it was always like you know back and buys or chest and triceps or push or, or pull or like biceps get pushed to the later sessions because it's just like culturally that's kind of how we pick up programs as, as newer lifters we just do these kind of like meme workouts quote unquote like you know push pull or back and biceps right um whatever you want to yeah when one of the things like you have to think about is well you ask anyone hey what's wagging and you talk and they're like oh yeah i do calves at the end of my workout calves are a weak point i do biceps at the end of a workout biceps are a weak a weak point and i think a lot of that original like programming issues where you put that at the back is you don't want to be that bro who goes in, shows up, and does curls. A lot of people, like, there's a stigma the against stigma, going yeah. in. <laughs> you, like, hey. you don't want to, yeah, exactly. Like, I don't want to be that guy who walks in and is like, hey, I just want big biceps. Well, if you want if you want big biceps or big whatever, you have to go in there and you have to prioritize it. Make sure, one, you don't skip it because it's the end of a workout. Two, you're not exhausted, so you're not doing it to its full potential. And three, like, you don't, you're just doing it for you. So you have to make sure that you are committed to it. And you're not just trying to like kind of yeah. sit within what people expect. Yeah. Especially because if, if you think, you know, don't, don't skip leg day, but you know, you don't have to do legs every day just to show everyone that you're not skipping it. Right. Like, <laughs> even though that's it, actually, it, that's almost it's funny because I, I was that guy. I yeah, was that guy. Yeah. When I, uh, it's funny when Peter was talking at the beginning, uh, I was always athletic. So we always did like, you know, athletic, like sports space as far as my lifting and that is um and so yeah we always do like olympic lifting all that sort of thing so it was all lower body and then yeah when i got into like lifting outside of sports i like started doing like a almost like a german volume sort of like squat program that was like evolved and it was just like oh my legs are now getting even bigger but um but yeah but i think to the point about exercise selection or not selection but rotation or um order i guess would be the way to put it um even like within the week i think that's another thing too or um, you know, without even changing the the volume at all or what you're doing, but just the order, I think that that could have a huge, like kind of going from like minimum, you know, changes needed to see if that has an effect. Just switching, like, you know, if you're, like you said, calves at the end of the workout, well, let's do them at the beginning. Let's keep everything the same or, you know, doing your bicep work at the beginning and um, just kind of, I think that could be, you know, an easy way to go about it. Um, again, especially if you've been doing the same thing, like Peter was saying, since maybe you've completely started lifting. Um, I think that that has a huge advantage. I, I also like with my clients have, you know, even, I know it's not muscle group specifically, but like a lagging, um, or, a, uh, not even lagging, but something I really want to focus on movement wise, right? Like pull-ups or something. It's like, you kind of want to probably do that when you're freshest, um, and, and just feeling the best, um, just to get the most out of it. So um, yeah, no, I, I definitely think that the order is a, is a huge one there as far as, um, just having an effect on things, especially if it is a lagging body part in your mind, but, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, and I think, um, maybe it kind of can be a segue, but, um, kind of what I was mentioning before about your visual, you know, own critiques, I think w- one thing that taught me a lot, and this happened to me with my like abs, I always was like, you know, and I had this happen with a lot of my clients who was like, oh, I want my abs to like look like this or like they, you know, I want them to look like that. And that was really when I started to realize that people don't understand. And I kind of mentioned this briefly, like insertions and the way our bodies are different in that sense. And, you know, all the development in the world is not going to change 
the way that inserts on your body. And I think like a biceps is another good example of that where, um, you know, if you have that un, uh, unfortunate gap, you know, between where your elbow is and where the bicep actually starts um, and inserts, it's, you know, it, it's going to be posing. It's going to be development, of course, which will help that. But it, there's nothing that's going to magically make that, you know, happen or change your shape of your abs to be a super aesthetic, like, you know, you might see someone else. Um, but I think that's, you know, not to be corny, but it's like, that's what makes us unique, right? But but it is true, though, right? And um, yeah, so I think that that's maybe something if you guys want to touch on that and um, how that that can have an effect where you have to break the news to someone where you're like, yeah, you actually have really good development, but it's just a horrible insertion, you know, like, and then explaining how that even... <laughs> what that even means, you know what I mean, to someone, so. um, Yeah, yeah. and and that that can be a tough pill to swallow for some people when they first (laughs) realize it, but uh, I think to frame it positively, you can still fight against structure and muscle bellies with good development, so like, for the abs example, okay, they may not have like an eight-pack or a six-pack, but can they get the rectus abdominis thicker uh, if, if that's what they want? Can it show at higher body fats? Can it be better than it is now? Almost certainly, yes. Um, you know, one one I see with a lot of competitors is like like a one that's quite variable on people is like how their quads look. Like, do they have good quad muscle bellies, which can really affect their kind of like X frame on stage. And so, like, some people just don't have great sweeping. You know, like 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 vastus lateralis, like quads, like the outer head of your quads. Um, and you know, maybe for someone like them, it's a better strategy just to try and get you know, massive adductors, you know, and just like see like the legs be really thick and develop from the front and have a lot of separation and be very lean. Maybe that's your best bet to improving your placing. Um, I still think it's probably worthwhile to find your best quad movements, you know, find the ones that give you the highest amount of, of, of stimulus uh, that you can overload that's repeatable, that the fatigue is like worth the cost basically. Um, but, you know, you can never really change the exact muscle belly structure um, of of, of what you got going on. But in time, if you make things bigger, you can probably um, be happier in the end with what you have. And, um, you know, like you said, Joe, like posing it, posing it better on stage, that can be a big thing too. You might spend hours and hours doing that. Like I know I'm, I spent a long time trying to tweak my front double bicep this year to try and make my biceps look bigger. Uh, and I, I did it by making my legs look smaller. I don't know if it was the right thing, but you know, I'm telling you, my biceps did look way bigger than they did before. And that's some of that was muscle growth, but a lot of that was posing too. So, learning how to present the muscle can, you know, maybe be your best remedy for, you know, quote unquote poor genetics when it comes to when it comes to, um, you know, a lagging body part or something that you're just not pleased with. Yeah, when it when it comes to anatomical variation, it's really going to be how can you pose it to the best that you can pose you? Uh, There's really not a lot of other options. You can make the muscle bigger. You can't really reshape it aside from like some sort of catastrophic accident, uh, which does happen. Carrier biceps, maybe they'll reattach them better. (laughs) (laughs) Then they can do that. Um, But, um, but yeah, so really getting that posing down, like for like the separation in the ab, um, like down the center, you can try to like shift your hips and twist slightly. So that way it kind of like, it changes the angle and it's less of a focus it kind of change like the width will will reduce because you've got kind of an angular view at it. So like, those are some things you can do. And Connor, you're going to have a lot more input on that than I will. So I'll move it over to you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you just, you just get, you got to find if you're trying to show off, you know, your body in a certain way, you got to find, you almost got to like sell your physique on stage. So if you do have a strong point, like maybe you don't have the best uh, chest, but maybe you want to show off your delts more like in the side chest and really kind of like 
twist so you're not so much being viewed from the side to see the thickness of the pecs but you're kind of showing your whole you know broadness and almost everyone is doing that now is like rotating to show that back shoulder right so it, it could be the same thing with even even with your back shots right if you don't have the best lats you can lean back further because it's going to show more upper back to the judges right so that can be a strategy too so you really got to kind of almost sell your strong points and then that's kind of going back to you know what we said earlier where it's like do you really you know, is, is, you know, making your program around bringing up these body parts, is it really the best bang for your buck? You know, maybe you just got to show off me going to be the best you, you can be, and just try and sell that on stage. If you're a competitive physique athlete. Right. And like, there's numerous examples with that. Like I said, like with the biceps and the front double bicep, like I really focused on really twisting my arm back all the way to get just as much height as I could on kind of like the long head of the bicep. And then actually like shifting my hips back, kind of like you said about the abs, but that kind of actually made my legs look a little bit smaller, which made my biceps look bigger in relationship. Cause I figured, you know, symmetry round, they see my quads, uh, front relax. They've seen that. So front double bicep, I'm going to try and show off my biceps as good as I can. Was it the right call? I don't know. It was fun <laughs> figuring that out though. Um, but yeah, basically just trying to sell kind of what you have, um, with your physique going on currently, once you get on stage, it's going to be just as powerful as like trying to, you know, spend months and months bringing up a body part that maybe due to genetics just isn't quite there is never going to be as good as your strong points. Sweet. Um, I'd like to transition us back to what will help all people rather than those with stage. Um, so I wanted to swing us back to um, exercise selection and kind of how to kind of weed your or like get yourself through the weeds on picking exercises um, and sort of like analyzing what what will work best for you. So I like to think of muscles in, in a, a couple different ways. So like the first thing I'll look at is where's the muscle strongest in its range of motion. So there there's one. So like the lats are strongest while they're fully extended and they're like, you can like, everyone can do a row and get it like halfway. And then it's like, Oh, well, that's too hard. I can't get it any further. So that's strongest at the fully extended or at extension. Um, there's some muscles that are stronger at the beginning, like a lot of people can start a, tr a dip, a tricep dip, and they just can't quite lock it out at the end. So there's two, two like different ones where it's like, you can see different strength curves. So you want to take advantage of that strength curve as well. And then where can you most load the muscle? Is it at lengthened or is it at shortened? So kind of having that in mind as well. And then the last thing is for me is you really want to load that lengthened, uh, lengthened position but you want to make sure that you're not going into passive insufficiency because it's a hypermobile joint. So you've got the pec. So you've got the pec. Um, what other, what are other uh, hypermobile ones? I guess there's the hip joint. So there's some muscles that go there so that if you extend your, um, like your humerus or your, yeah, humerus too long, um, it is at its maximally stretched location and it is going to produce less force through that range of motion. So you, you want to load it lengthened, but not too lengthened. So those are just kind of the things that I'm thinking about. And I think hamstrings are one of them uh, when you're at fully extended hip or fully flexed hip. Um, what, uh, what do you guys think about for exercise selection, uh, lengthened and the strength curve? I think definitely you can go too overboard with range of motion and you can kind of, um, I think it's been, it's been kind of back and forth lately. I think it's, I think the pendulum's kind of swinging back to more of just try and get lengthened and be reasonable with it. But 
Um, you definitely have to be careful if you're trying to maximize that length and overload, you're not going into a position that you can't have ownership over. So I think the problem is when people try and like do a heavy weight, but they haven't really loaded that position enough to have ownership of that bottom position, right? And that's one for me too, where I don't have the biggest rib cage. And for, for packs, I can, if I go down too deep, and this is the weak muscle group for me is chest, I'll kind of see my shoulder kind of tipping backwards. And I don't, I feel like that is kind of a bit of an unsafe spot for my shoulders. And I would not want to do, you know, lots of heavy load down there before I like, you know, spent a good amount of time and felt confident that that's going to actually do what I want and not injure me. So, so as far as what I usually do, um, especially with like more like lifestyle clients or someone who's just, you know, working out for general health, I actually like to break it down as far as like exercise selection um, for like most bang for their buck. And I usually kind of just go from a standpoint of like really mainly the big thing is explaining what like a compound and isolation difference is. Um, and that's like a big major thing for me at the beginning, because like even for someone who's you know, maybe like a mom or like someone who's like, you know, not really trying to get like to put on as much muscle as absolutely possible. I would say that they could get away with almost doing all compound movements. So I kind of look at it from like a full body perspective of like how I would break that down. But yeah. So for someone who is like, especially if you're more of a novice getting into like explaining how you would program per se, even just one day of lifting, I usually break it down with like a push, a pull, a hinge, a squat, and then like a core movement of some kind. And obviously if you want to get more specific within that, you're going to break down like a push to like a vertical and horizontal pull vertical and horizontal. And then obviously, you know, you can break that down even further adding in isolations as needed. But I think one of the biggest breakthroughs for people was when I did explain a compound and isolation and just what kind of the bang for your buck within each of those is. And I think that kind of was a good, like almost like a, you know, explosion moment for, for a lot of people where they're like, oh, and so that's why you would do that at the end of this workout, because we're already hitting that muscle group a little bit through, you know, a push up hitting chest. So that's why we do, you know, or a chest and, and like triceps, for instance, and we'll do some triceps at the end to kind of finish that off. And that really kind of helps people put that together. And I think also beyond that too, lagging body part wise, I think knowing anatomy and just what each of those muscle groups or muscle pattern movement patterns, like what it hits, I think was also helpful for people. So, you know, just kind of knowing what is going to be, you know, you know, doing your pushing movements, whether it's vertical or um, horizontal and kind of the same thing there. And I think that really helped as well so that when they do go into the movement, maybe they don't feel it quite yet, but like, as Connor was saying, sensation isn't always maybe the best driver, right? Because if someone maybe doesn't feel it always, a lot of times they might still be able to grow muscle, especially someone who doesn't really care maybe about sensation, right? Um, which I found is, you know, a lot of the population outside of, you know, our little niche. So it's interesting when you um, kind of have to think about it a little bit in that sense. So I'm glad you brought that up, Peter, as far as, you know, just maybe, you know, someone who isn't uh, full-fledged into, you know, trying to grow muscle or eke out all these little gains, you know, from that side of things. Um but yeah, but no, I don't know if you guys have any, any takes on that. Otherwise, as far as um, exercise selection or um, how you break it down there. I think before we move on from uh, compound movements to like to fully, mm -hmm. um, I did want to touch on one thing with compound movements. And you get, both kind of mentioned it briefly about like squat pattern. Hey, it's not building my quads. Well, you might be squatting very, very well for a squat. 
but you might not be squatting very, very well for quad development. So you might either need to adjust the form so it's less advantageous for heavy weight, but more advantageous for growth, uh, or pick a movement that is just easier for you to target that muscle. And that can be, that can be chest. Um, I'm a very tricep and deltoid dominant bench presser, uh, which is why my overhead press is basically the same. So it is not a particularly powerful pec builder for me. I have to go to other movements. Um, so that's kind of my thought on kind of what compounds and when to figure out if you need to move on. Do you, either of you guys have like heuristics for if this compound is working or not? Since sensation can't be the main focus. Yeah. I really think I like to get videos from clients. So it's like, okay, we're trying to squat for quads. What does it look like? And I mean, it, de it depends how much you want to really educate them or spend time with them. And it's like, okay, how much knee flexion are we getting into? And then you can assess that from like a side view. It's like, how far is that knee getting over that toe? And, you know, what's the moment arm from like, you know, we know the way to center over midfoot. So what's the moment arm between the hip and the midfoot and versus the knee and the midfoot. So the more you get that knee forward, the more you're going to be putting torque on the quads and mechanical tension in the quads at the bottom. Right. So, you know, you kind of got to look at kind of, I guess the action of each muscle group and like how to, how to eat that out, especially that is more difficult in compound movements, right? It's more of a discussion. It's more of a journey you're going to take with that client. Yeah. And, and not that, um, not that soreness is obviously a direct indicator, but I do like, especially if it's like the beginning of, a, of like a, you know, what, whether you want to call it, you know, new routine or a new mesocycle or something, when you do get into it, if you're benching and then you, you know, you have a, you know, bench workout or something, and you know, you don't feel your chest at all the next day and your triceps are just hammered. I think that obviously can be a major sign. Obviously it's not always going to be that, you know, blatant where you're like, Oh, that's not the case. But I think if you go through that mesocycle then, and you're just maybe not seeing progression, or especially if you're then comparing that. And I think this is where variable wise, making sure you do have progress pictures and things consistent. I think you just got to look at that and, you know, base that mainly on, on what you're, uh, what you're going to be doing or changing or not changing and kind of going about it that way. But like, like Peter was saying, I think that that's a really good question. I, I got me just thinking there for a second where I'm like, why do it? Cause I, I like like incline dumbbell bench, for instance, where I'm like, Oh, I really think this builds my chest. And I think that that's true, but I was try trying to like almost bolster my argument of like, other than being like, no, 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 I just know this works, right? Like that's not, a, it's a terrible argument. So it's like, you know, other than, you know, the specifics of why maybe an incline would work anyways, but someone maybe who th then says, well, why don't you do barbell incline, Joe? You know, um, and for me, obviously they can be, you know, uh, shoulder, you know, thing tweaks and that sort of thing that come into play. But from a muscle growth aspect, I don't really know if I could, you know, be like, well, this is exactly why I do that, you know, other than maybe, you know, uh, bilateral and unilateral, maybe I can make an argument there. Um, but that's actually, uh, speaking of a point um, about exercise selection, um, unilateral movements, I think there's a big thing as well. Um, so if someone, one of my clients, you know, comes to me with legging body parts, maybe one side, um, I think this came up in our office hours there um, with ATP. Um, if you have one side that legs, then you're only doing bilateral movements, bilateral compound movements. I would say that maybe throwing in some dumbbell work would be you know, your best friend in that sense, not that it's going to solve everything, but it will definitely probably help avoid that, you know, lagging body part or side getting worse. Um, I, I have to that. jump in 
because yeah. I was talking to Connor uh, just before we jumped in here. I'm like, yeah. you know, I just realized because we've been talking about getting my lats in. He's been making exercise suggestions. And I, I told him, you know, I, I've been doing a unilateral pull and I don't feel, I, you know, sensation. I don't have a mind muscle connection with my left, left lat like I do with my right lat. And yeah. in my in my lat spread, I do know that I have a difference in those muscle sizes. So uh, you can you can go look back, or I can post them up uh, so we can put it on this video or something. But I have a very clear difference in just sensation or mind muscle connection on each lat. I can feel it very very tightly on my uh, right lat, but with my left lat, I I'm working hard to see if I can either get a sensation or get soreness maybe combine some proxy measures to see if I'm stimulating that muscle. Cause I know I'm doing the movement, but it feels different with an identical movement on different sides. Yeah, no, I think that's really interesting. And it almost makes me think like, you know, not to jump to an extreme, but it's like, would someone who really wants the perfect symmetry only want to do a lot of unilateral movements? Like, I think that that would make sense, but then you're almost like then going back to the question of, you know, is it better maybe because I can load it easier with a lot of the bilateral movements, you know, in a, in a greater way. Um, the time again, cost of unilateral that, is intense. That too, yeah. Who wants to sit through, you know, 12 to 15 reps each side on a cable machine where you get, okay, oh, yep. Like literally, yeah. I think that that's, uh, yeah, like people always hate on, you know, like supersetting or, you know, it's not as effective. And then people are like, hey, I have 30 minutes and I run three businesses and I have this going on, you know, and they're like, I just do that because I have to, and not because it's, you know, the most optimal, but it's like optimal for him, you know, and that's, or he, he or she, in that sense, it's really interesting how that can like, um, you know, be a factor when, you know, you're talking real world stuff, but. Um, yeah. I want, I'll jump into and say, I love unilateral work, especially for lats and for arms. Like I don't really, I barely even do any bilateral stuff right now for, um, for nothing for biceps, nothing for, no, one movement for triceps is bi bilateral. Um, most of my back stuff that I'm trying to focus on lats is unilateral. And that is one of those things. It, it, it is a time suck. And like, sometimes I, I hate doing it, but even though I, you know, I'm trying to get on stage, I'm trying to put as much time as I can into this, but for, for sure, someone, so I, I wouldn't uh, blame someone if they were, you know, time crunched, you know, they, they need more, you know, bilateral or focus, stuff, focus too. Like even, you know, thinking of it from that perspective of like, you know, focus being a currency it's like you only have so much focus like if you're yeah. adding more and more sets you know and even though it's one set you know it's almost like two sets in a way you, you got to pick your battles when you're, when you're going to choose the unilateral stuff and for me I, I feel like I've zoned it down to what's worth it but I spend right. a lot of time like thinking about my workouts so I'm like oh no I can't do three unilateral exercises in this workout <laughs> like come on man like two two at most yeah, I think I was going to say, if I had to maybe pick, you know, just kind of what's true to what I do programming wise, just a little bit of, you know, a little bit of both. And then uh, depending on what that person needs or the specifics or what they like, I guess, to um, kind of alter it accordingly from there. But, um, but yeah, but it, I was going to say, do you guys have any other points on that? Or do you I think we, um, think we have one, one option more? that that unilateral yeah. uh, movements do give you at the cost of that time? is if they're, they're in a position that you can't get an ideal line of pull um, when you're trying to do both at the same time, um, being able to do one at a time to get a, a little bit better line of pull might be the difference you need to just target that muscle slightly better. And slightly better over the course of months might just bring that lagging part up. Can you give an example, Peter, just, just for the sake of 
explaining. Do you know what I mean? Um, like, um, yeah, like I mean, like a like a yeah, like a row, like a row. You mean, for instance, like slightly yeah, angling so yourself. A row into is a what bench. I was going to mention, but we hit okay. we've hit lads so hard. I was like, I'm no, no, no. But I know what you mean. Where you kind of are, especially now with like uh, Chasm. I know he talked like slightly getting that twist position, whereas like obviously around, if you're standing. Yeah. yeah, there's no real way to. Or like even like a, the, the clavicle press as well. Yeah. Um, I also believe there's some utility in the in glutes because um, just being able to drive in, in other directions and just straight back uh, will also yep. be able to provide some. So or, there's there's some utility there as well. Or like B stance movements as well. You know, obviously that's a little different, but like if you're doing like a B stance sort of uh, like RDL or something, I don't know if you guys know what that is, where it's, yep. you know, you got this like kickstand kind of, as I like to call it, um, yep. you know, so obviously you can't do that um it's kind of like a unique where you're like kind of stabilized you know kind of not i think that that's you know you can't really do that bilateral in any way um a, a, a big one a big one too for like let's i'll take arms we haven't talked about that but uh, a big one too is wear and tear on joints so you have like you know your your skull crusher where you're kind of in this position where all the force is coming down here and you're rotating like this when if you could just do that with dumbbells or or, or single arm or something to get this plane of motion where you're you're lined up that can be good uh, and like less stress on the joints and same with like biceps if you're doing a curl where you're you have to the grip has to be in here well yeah. maybe maybe out here is is a little bit better right so not necessarily even unilateral but just stuff that gives you freedom of of uh of the movement to get position. in the acquisition you need to right which you can't with every single implement in the gym right yeah cool. and that might be where uh individual or sorry uh, uh yeah variation in anatomy is limiting you but you don't know it because it might work well for most people to do an easy bar bicep curl, but for some reason for you, it just doesn't hit right. Yeah, That could be why. Absolutely. Um, do we want to move on to maybe volume or um, frequency? Yep. Yeah. Um, I guess maybe I could start it out with kind of like the basic kind of going back to what I would explain to someone, especially like a novice, uh, especially if they're like, you know, I got these lagging body parts and I'm like, you know, what's your programming like? And you know, if they're like, well, I do chest on Monday and then I do legs and then I do arms and then I repeat. And I'm like, okay, well, here's a good one. Like we definitely need to be hitting your muscle groups more frequently. Right. And so explain to them, you know, where, oh, hey, if you're only lifting three days a week, yeah, maybe you could get away with a few different programs, but like a full body is going to be ideal just because you're going to be hitting each muscle group at least twice, even though you're only going three days a week. And then kind of explaining that from a perspective um, to get them to understand, you know, when you're stimulating the you know, the, the muscle growth from breaking it down, you know, and kind of getting them to understand that. Then I kind of like use that almost to segue them into kind of volume and understanding that. Um, and obviously at this point, most people who are getting this explained to them are going to grow doing anything, right? Like, you know, they don't need super high volume or really any, you know, they could do one set and they'd grow. But um, I think then getting them to realize then, oh, like it's not just getting stronger over time. That's one component, but I have to do more work over time, you know, more sets, more reps and getting them to understand that. Um, because I think that that is a big misconception, especially with people maybe lagging body parts or maybe who have plateaued or they're like, oh, you know, I'm not getting stronger. And I'm like, well, that's not, you know, the only goal that we have. Cause if that was the goal, you know, what happens when you hit, you know, what are you going to be curling hundred pound, uh, you know, dumbbells one day, like that just doesn't work. So it's like, how do we, you know, how do we work around that for those types of movements? Um, or like lateral raises is another good one. And they're usually like, oh yeah, that, there's no real way to do that, you know? So um, I think that that's kind of my next like segue into that um, as far as uh, the more detailed um, specifics within volume or progressive overload, if you guys want to maybe go from there. But I think the big one, like I said, as far as like 
consistency with frequency is a big one, um, especially for mm-hmm. beginners or people with lack of structure where they're just hitting it only once a week and kind of missing out on that um, multiple times a week. Yeah, one of the ways that I, I think of frequency and volume is I, I like to think of frequency as a vehicle by which to apply volume. Um, so like there, it, there is something about st- having multiple stimulus, um, but having more frequency enables more volume if more volume is what's needed. Um, there, there, is a, there is a chance that you're overtraining a particular group and you need to cut back. Um, but it, it, it's more likely than not that you just need to add a little bit more volume and per session volume might not be useful for that particular muscle. So adding a, a dose of frequency to spread that volume out, uh, would be particularly great. Um, that's, that's generally the first approach I take was, is either add volume to the session or add an additional dose by which I have more volume by more sessions. Uh, and the second I, one being more quality too. Like I yeah, think that's quality is important thing, for sure because you're more fresh, not rather than just like two more sets at the end, right? <laughs> yeah, you've got you've got a, a two sessions in which you can have that exercise first. Perfect. I, I, I was gonna hop in there and say, you yeah. know, like as terms of like per session, like I'm very very skeptical if you're doing more than ten sets of a body part in a certain workout that you're not kind of getting into a little bit of junk volume on that day if you're doing more than ten. Um, and I mean, as, as well too, I think when a people, let's say they freak out one day about their um, liking muscle group and they just, it's all, it's usually like an emotional decision. It's like, oh, we're going to hammer it 20 sets a week, you know, three times a week or something. Right. So you got to be kind of be careful with just like getting into super high volumes right away. Cause you're, you're almost certainly going to fizzle out or like your joints won't be able to handle it if you go way extreme. I mean, most people probably aren't going to start at an extreme level, but sometimes these decisions to program certain ways are kind of emotional or even in the workout, like you just kind of get going and you just want to keep going uh, because like you're just really driven that day or whatever, or, you know, you're really driven to bring up a certain muscle group. But, you know, once you get past that 10 set barrier, you know, I, I really don't think you're going to be doing much good for that session. And you'd be, like you said, like, um, you know, frequency is a vehicle for, for more volume, right? So you want to look at frequency, but, you know, I really think working up to like 10 sets twice a week for a muscle group is probably going to be like, you know, you really have to make sure, um, like, like check out, like check out, check off that box first, you know, get up to like 20 sets per week maximum at first. And if that's not working, then I think something else in your system is probably broken because at that point at 20 sets a week, you're kind of maximizing volume for the most part. I mean, that's kind of the top end of the literature recommendations. You get some people who say higher can work, but I wouldn't put my stock in it that you really should have to go much higher than 20 in most situations. And there's always outliers, but I would say, you know, if you're doing that much, that should be kind of where you got to get a little bit skeptical about everything else we're mentioning. If you're, if you're thinking you need more than 20. Yeah. Unless it's maybe like arms or like, maybe like lateral, like lateral raise, like lateral delt work, something like that maybe. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I totally agree, Connor, where it's like, you definitely maybe go look at like quality control of like the volume you're already doing even, you know, like what does that volume look like? What do those 20 sets look like? You know, um, if you're not seeing the growth uh, from there, um, you know. Right, and like I mean like more. Me- medial delts, for instance, is one that, you probably can do a lot of volume on because most of the exercises you're doing are loaded in like 
the peak forces in that short position, which doesn't beat up your tissue as much as something that's really loaded in the stretch. So if you're doing dumbbell lateral raises three to four times a week, yeah, you're, you probably could, you know, um, get that up there, but then your other muscle groups, you be careful to apply that same notion to like quads or like chest or something. Yeah. I think exactly. would be would be pretty hellish, right? That'd be brutal. Yeah. Yeah. Hamstrings, brutal. Um, <laughs> but quick takeaway, I think, for for the audience is um per session volume, at what point do you say it is time for another session of this exercise? Connor, you said about 10. Mine's nine or ten as well. So I kind of reflect yeah. a very similar number. Yeah, I would agree. I, I would definitely agree. And um, even, you know, especially like I was saying, especially if it's uh, you know, someone who's not as uh, advanced of a lifter, um, even less than that, you know, just from a standpoint of like not getting burnt out. And even I've had times where people are like, well, no, I want to do more, you know, especially as they're getting started. And I love that. Right. But I'm like, let's harness that energy you have right there instead of just burning it into the ground right away where you're like, I can't move. I hate this, you know, and it's just not very ideal. Cause I think that that happens too, where you have that like novice gung-ho energy uh which isn't bad necessarily if you're you know you got to find that limit every once in a while but i think long term if it <laughs> because you did not even like lifting anymore or quit altogether i don't think that's productive you know so yeah. um but uh but yeah i i could i could say right now you know chest is something i'm trying to bring up um and i have one session where i'm doing 10 sets and one session where i'm doing eight sets and that second session is a little bit more integrated where there's some like there's like, like it's like a high like Smith incline press where the clavicular pack is involved, but the other parts of the pack aren't. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's eight, but it's not quite as yeah, pure of an eight as by doing yeah, pure chest stuff. So, you know, 18 sets per week um, is kind of where, where I'm at right now. And I don't really think more is going to be the key to getting better. Cause I've, I've, I actually have ramped up to 30 sets of chest per week, believe it or not. Um, a, as one of my things I did at one point and it didn't really, produce better results than than less and kind of focusing on on form and I I like that's one too where I've been correcting a lot of form issues and that's one where I had I have a lot of ingrained habits that were bad that I'm really working hard to correct and it's been kind of been working on these since like 2017 and there's it's starting to come around it's getting better but you know I had 10 years of drilling the wrong stuff right so this is one of the things that I think Peter wanted to say that sometimes it just takes a while to grow and it takes a while for things to take off and it's a lot of you know, um, structure and discipline that you need to apply to just really see that body part come to life. Um, I don't want to focus in so much on the muscle we need to grow that we forget about the rest of programming. Um, What do you do when you're specializing with the rest of your volume? You talk about loading up quite a bit more sets of that particular thing. Are we adding that on? But what do we do with everything else? Um, Joe? Um, here's an interesting situation for myself right now, actually. Um, so currently I'm actually pretty much like at maintenance with almost all of my body parts. So to answer your question in the form of this answer, uh, if I had a body part that I was specializing, I would probably be bringing my volume down to where I am at like right now. So kind of, and I guess it all depends on the person because, you know, and how maybe even how intense that specialization is as well, right? Um, like if I was hammering like my quads like three times a week, because I was really trying to bring those up, well, that's going to fatigue me overall a lot more in that week, week to week, than it would be if I was maybe doing like an arm specialization phase where, yeah, I could probably add in a few more sessions of arms without adding a huge amount of systematic fatigue on myself. 
um, you know, and, and have that really kind of affect things. So if it was like, for instance, my legs I was bringing up, I probably would bring almost all of my other volume down unless maybe, you know, like I was kind of, I know some people do like a secondary specialization phase where they're like focusing on quads mainly. And then maybe like chest is a little bit, you know, more volume than everything else, but not as much as the quads. Um, but yeah, if it was like arms, maybe I could get away with keeping things, everything else a little bit higher. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it's, and, and for me, I keep saying maintenance, that's usually around like, uh, like 10 sets, uh, per week, depending sometimes even like eight sets, um, depending on the muscle group. Um, but I find that actually I've even been like below that before, especially during the pandemic. Um, I was like, I was only lifting, usually doing like a full body workout, like one to two times per week. So it would probably be like six to eight sets I was doing maybe. Um, and I mean, maybe, you know, there's probably a little bit of muscle mass that I could notice personally that withered away, <laughs> but, um, you know, it was far less than I thought, especially during that year, you know, of stress and craziness going on. Um, it, it was definitely mm -hmm. interesting. So, but yeah, to, to, to answer your question, I would, I would really kind of depended upon what I'm specializing in that would kind of determine the big factor on how much fatigue that is causing, but otherwise, I do like to think, you know, if you're really needing a specialization phase and everything else is growing great, I would say that probably bringing everything else down would be the best way to actually make that part grow faster than the other areas. Um, Connor, or Peter, any, any other thoughts on that? Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think, like I said, I think the specialization phase, as I said earlier, it's kind of like the last resort to, um, to all this stuff when you really, really need to focus on it and we're, we're going to make those accommodations to your other body parts. So, I mean, you know, I, I, I did this as well. I mean, I got my quads down to like four sets a week, I think it was. And it was, it was mostly just like, just like leg pressing more like hip dominant style. And I just, I just was like, I'm just going to see what happens. You know, I'm, I'm going to see what happens to my progressions. If I just, you know, focus, I think I was focusing more on biceps at that time. Um, and it, it did work. And I did, I took my quad training right down and I took my, uh, delt training right down, you know, no direct front delt work, no direct rear delt work. I think I was doing, you know, maybe three or four sets of medial delts per week, uh, at that point. And, um, I definitely did see results in my arms, uh, for sure. And it felt like, yeah, I was recovered more often. And I, I, I was in the middle of the off season. You could really just tell the pump, the pump was just always there in my upper body. Cause I didn't really take away from my secondary muscle groups that I was still trying to bring up like chest and back and stuff. I was still trying to they were still important enough to me that I wanted to keep volume in, but I looked at my two stronger ones and took the volume away from, and that did seem to help um, in that phase. Of course, you know, I maybe, you know, in hindsight, could I have just, you know, maybe focused on my execution and exercise selection and had a program that had everything in it all at once, possibly, but um, you know, if you really want to go this route, I do think it makes sense to, you know, bleed back from your stronger muscle groups, which you can, you know, visually assess with the person and, you know, uh, walk them through it, you know, by looking at their physique and being like, okay, this is what we're going to take away. This is what we're going to add. You have a recovery budget and we're going to spend it mostly on your priority body parts. Yeah. I, uh, I reflect basically that of the both of you uh, pretty much identically. Um, I also think that our maintenance volumes are lower than we kind of even expect, even in what the literature is showing so far. Um, I think uh, the best place to look for a minimum effect effective dose in training right now is Dr. Pack's work, uh, P-A-K. Uh, he's got a lot of good stuff going out and is a good resource for minimum effective dose, which is where I would set all of my stuff that I'm not specializing. 
Um, so that's, that's kind of exactly how I would do this walk. So either a minimum effective dose for a little bit of progress in those areas or at true maintenance, which might even be a far lower number. And that minimum dose could be, you know, maybe just strength training those particular groups. Um, I mean, you can also just change your loading parameters a little bit as well. So that's an option is, you know, to think about. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's, that's one interesting thing because right now, basically, I didn't, I don't think I finished my thought about why I am maintenance as far as lifting specifically right now. But because um, a lot of my focus right now is towards uh, aerobic training and running right now. And so obviously with that in mind, I think that's interesting too with, like my legs, like I was always even more fearful, like, oh, my legs are going to get really, really small. But, and right now all my like lifting for my legs is pretty much geared and I kind of just counted and it's probably right around like, like for quads and hamstrings, like alike. And a lot of it's combined compound works. I'm not really doing many isolations um, besides for a few things. I'm probably yeah around like four or five sets um, specifically for like each of them. But a lot of that is only just to keep my legs healthy with just the amount of volume that I'm doing, but it's keeping some size around as well. So it's like, it's really interesting. Like Peter was saying that I think a lot of our volumes and especially it's come, comes from like a, like a protective mindset where we're like, we put all this work in for these gains, you know, we don't want to lose them. Like I totally understand. Um, but it's, I think it's much lower than we, than we would, than we would like to think. Um, which I think could be useful in a case like this, like Connor was mentioning, where, yeah, if you completely pull that energy that you're putting normally into something and put it towards whatever you need to, um, you know, or if you just want to, you know, for like the sake of trying to just get really jacked triceps or whatever that might be, you know, I think it's, it's really interesting to, to think about that might, you know, be, be lower than we think or um, it's, it's funny you mentioned, cause you described your, your training resistance training volume as at maintenance if you were to be doing a specialization phase, but you are doing a specialization phase just for a different adaptation. <laughs> uh, truly, so yeah. You, no, so you good. have all yeah. of that there, but at maintenance volumes. So that way your aerobic training can be more maximized. Totally, exactly. And actually, I think that probably maybe goes segues all the way back to the beginning where uh, when you were talking to Connor about sensation, it got me thinking about someone, I uh, can't remember who it was, but they gave the example of like how like muscle damage uh, isn't doesn't equate to hypertrophy or growth. And they were like, yeah, well, like, you know, go run a marathon. Your legs will definitely be sore. <laughs> You're not going to be growing them, right? Um, but that's probably the same thing where like someone, you know, come at the come up at the top, big squeeze, you know, it's like no resistance, no overload, you know? And so I think that that's a, that's a good point that I was like, oh, that's, that kind of hits home, you know, makes sense for sure. But, um, but no, Peter, I think that's, you, you explained it better than I, than I could. Um, it's true. You know, you got to be able to kind of pull away that energy and, and the, uh, the fatigue to be able to put it towards, um, you know, the running I'm doing. And then, yeah, it'll be fun. Cause then once that, once I'm done with this, uh, once you get the marathon out of the way, it'll definitely be kind of the same, but the opposite, you know, vice versa, where I'll be pulling some of that running volume down and adding that back in so I can not be, uh, stuck squatting 275 over and over again. I'm like, I'm like, I'm not letting go of that. So like, I keep testing it, you know, every, like <laughs> the, the, the last, like, uh, like I don't do it every week. Cause it just crushes me. Cause like the fatigue from just barbell squatting, but I like want to make sure I can keep that metric, uh, while I'm, while I'm running. So I don't get too weak, but, um, yeah. definitely, definitely more strength than I probably need for a marathon, but Hey, that's the beauty of trying to challenge yourself here and do some stupid things while, uh, while I can. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, yeah. yeah, the last thing I wanted to touch on was um, priorities. Uh, we kind of talked about exercise selection and priorities, but um, I really wanted to bring up my lab. So I started building my program. I was like, all right, so I'm going to really de-emphasize legs. Um, but I definitely still want to train glutes because I want to I be able to get striations more at a you know, higher body fat percentage. And I really want to bring up my shoulders. And then the more I built this program, I realized I'm not ready to de-emphasize enough muscle groups to do a specialization program because I, I really just need to bring up too many things. So like it, it has to be, an, you have to be mentally ready to put all of those things on the back burner or you're, it's just going to be like, you're just going to start bumping up volume in your program in different spots. Cause you're like, maybe, maybe I can handle a little bit more legs right now. Maybe just a little bit more uh, lat raises. And you're just going to shoot yourself in the foot by just overreaching all the things at once. So you have to be fully ready to do that specialization program, or it's just, it's going to end up being just another program. Yeah. I think that that's super true. Like what I was saying, kind of with like my, like your arms or whatever it is um, that actually happened to me where I, my legs were really big. And then I was like, Oh, my arms are really tiny. And then I really did grow my arms. And then my chest was really tiny and my lats were really tiny compared to my arms. So it's kind of like, <laughs> I almost like chased the rabbit, you know, to another, then I'm like, oh, okay. And then, you know, versus if I would have just maybe been like, okay, I need to bring up my upper body and then focus my upper body completely instead of just being like, you know, let's get my arms really big, you know? Um, I think that that's, that's super true. And uh, yeah, it's like, maybe you just need to be patient and just continue doing exactly what you're doing and everything will grow the way you want it to rather than, you know, hyper-focusing on what you are seeing in the mirror every day um, you know, as that weak point. I feel like most, most people concerned with their physique or like who are really into this stuff, they actually hate running specialization phases or like they'll, they'll do one, but they'll be halfway in and they'll stop it halfway through and get back to what, what they like, which is training everything evenly. And honestly, I'm the same way. I don't really plan to do anything this year from my specialization standpoint, just because I kind of explored that in my last off season. It was great. Don't get me wrong. Great experience, but I just get too much enjoyment from training my whole body and just trying to have that complete physique all the time. And I mean, yes, I did ha have to do a few specialization phases to get here, but I don't want to keep doing it. I just want to train everything evenly and love my training. What if like, what if Tom Platts was like, guys, I can't grow my legs anymore. You know, like peak, you know, peak his legs just being jacked. He's like, I'm not growing my legs anymore, guys. No more squats. You know, I got to grow the upper body. Like, you know, where would we be? Where would we be today? We don't even know. He wouldn't even he wouldn't be the godfather of his leg, you know? But so it's like, I think that that's an important thing. Or like, uh, I think actually it was, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Julian Smith. He's, he's, you guys probably know him. He's like an influencer yep. guy, but he is like real, I always, he always had jack triceps and his arms are always super big. And he even said, I think he was one of the first people that said it. He's like, yeah, I like, my arms are way bigger and they're disproportionate, but I like training my arms and I like getting them real jacked and freaky, you know, and I'm just kind of like, well, can't really, you know, maybe it's not for you, you know, if you're not, if you're competing, you know, but like, Hey, can't really disrespect someone who, you know, wants to just get really big arms or whatever, fill in the blank, uh, you know, body part. But um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I think actually one thing I was talking about before uh, or thinking about before um, when Peter was mentioning just, you know, the average population, not posing wise, um, that is something that I often would bring up to my clients where they would be like, yeah, I really want this body part of this body part. And I'm like, well, you know, like, you know, if your goal is just to like look good on the beach and you're just standing there, that's going to maybe be like a different sort of animal 
you know, the approach than if you're competing, you know, cause like, you know, the, I think like Frank Zane, he always said, he's like, I just want to be aesthetic while I'm just standing there. And like, you know, that's going to be like, you know, your shoulders and like your chest and like, you know, it's like your lats, obviously they're going to be there, but you know, you're not really seeing them from the front, just standing there when you take off your shirt at the beach, nobody's going to be like, all right, run double by, you know? <laughs> like, you know? So yeah, think, you've got the like one moment you're here tra- yeah, you your yeah. shirt, and then it's done. Right. So I think that uh, that's a whole nother nuance, you know, to thinking like, okay, are you just like being jacked, you know, just walking around or is it, you know, on stage? And I think Connor said this, uh, I think, I don't know where he said it, but I completely agreed with you. Um, maybe you're in our group chat. You're like, uh, yeah, I like hiding my physique. Like the sleeper physique is so great. Cause then, yeah, when you do get to the beach, everyone's like, dude, what the heck? Like, what's going on? Like, you know what I mean? Like, and you're like, yeah, I like, I lift every once in a while, you know, <laughs> but yeah, no, that's, that's uh that's something I thought about too, just the differences there, uh competing wise, you know, your physique or um when you're just standing still. But uh but yeah, any other thoughts, gentlemen, on really anything we covered, just to kind of maybe sum up each of your uh sort of viewpoints on things and kind of finish things out here. I, I would say, you know, we mentioned a lot of stuff here, and I think if anyone is listening to this and has a weak body part. They're armored with a bunch of stuff to try. And this, it might honestly take you a year of playing with these metrics to like find a solution or find, you know, what the one particular thing, you know, you were missing uh, was. And that's where having a good coach can, you know, really kind of streamline the process a little bit because you get weekly updates, you get video feedback, and they can probably help you figure that out a lot quicker than you can on your own. Although props to you if you want to if you want to go at it because i know it you know I, I did all this stuff myself for the most part and it's it's been a long journey but it's been great yeah being just objective i think is one of the biggest values of a coach right having some objective opinion absolutely like, no you don't even have a weak body part right <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> or whatever yeah. it might be but peter yeah yeah i think the biggest one for me is really just understanding how you got there so that way you can either do the reverse or not do it again uh so analyzing you know what it is that caused that to lag, whether or not it was not enough volume, the wrong loading, the wrong frequency, or simply just not having the right connection with that muscle. Uh, Analyzing that and figuring that out, what is different from your successful groups and trying to just reduce that gap. Yeah, no, I think this is a perfect, like Connor said, this is definitely a good kind of coverage of you know not just saying all right you know uh this is exactly what you got to do but rather kind of troubleshooting and and kind of coming at it from a um you know step back perspective and seeing kind of in the big picture because there's a lot of nuance there and you know it might not just be what you view in your mind and again i think that's where to reiterate having a coach and especially someone who maybe you know has a little bit more knowledge than you or has been where you want to go i think that that's really important um and they can really kind of just keep your brain a little bit more sane in those situations where maybe you're being overly analytical on yourself or overly hard on yourself. So, um, yeah. And if you guys haven't already, definitely go check out atpperformancellc.com. Um, we have a few different things that are brand new. We have, um, now physical therapy mentorship, um, along with our normal coaching, um, that's run by Jacob. Um, he's not with us today, but, um, he also just released a, uh, new course as well. So check that out, um, on our website as, as well as applying for, coaching we all have roster spots available right now and those will definitely fill fast so if you guys are looking for contest prep for next year um you're looking to just develop your physique or take your um just overall fitness goals to the next level we have someone who can help you with that and um yeah just head over to the website 
fill out the application and we'll be in touch from there. But thank you guys for listening, especially if you still are. Please subscribe. And um, if you're on Spotify or any of the um, podcast hosts, leave us a review. That would definitely help out. And uh, we will uh, talk to you guys in the next one for Peter and Connor. We'll uh, talk to you guys soon. Take care, guys. Take care.